This is the cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and center. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome. 5 p.m. in the city of London. You're listening to The Cable. I'm Guy Johnson alongside Alex Steele over in New York. It is Thursday, November the 3rd. The firm focus on central banks. We've got a few earnings that we need to talk about. But central banks are the main story today. Uh, We've had the Bank of England delivering its biggest rate hike in over 30 years. This follows hot on the heels uh, of the Fed, of course, delivering a a 75 basis point hike yesterday. Huge differences between these two, Alex, uh, and the markets uh, reacting very differently as well. Broadly, stocks are lower today, but the dollar is higher and the pound is down. And I got to say, I got to say here in the U.S., you know, equities really off the lows. I mean, uh, yep. they were really rolling over when you and I had our editorial meeting at seven. We're like, oh, guys, this could be a really, really bad day. We need to really be able to be switchy uh, in the markets here and really be versatile. And then, you know, we got the ISM services, which was fine. It was still above 50. It was a little weaker than estimated. Um, empl- employment didn't get better, which in the perverse view is now a good thing if we're data dependent. And then you had a reversal for the S&P. We're now down only 3%. So it still feels like you know, rough data is going to be better news for equities as we sort of push towards what are central banks going to have to do, how long, how fast, uh, and and with the pace. I wonder how we're going to close. Clearly, payroll is a huge factor that we're going to be watching it's for It's true. The tomorrow. half hour could see a lot of movement, for sure. Uh, with the unemployment number. Some of the earnings have been okay. Etsy out with some fairly good numbers as well, which is, which is interesting, as we're seeing a series of technology companies come out and announce that they're going to be making some significant layoffs. Twitter obviously is one of them, but it's uh, it's been taken private now by Elon Musk. But Lyft uh, is another as well. Stripe is another. A lot of these companies are now really battening down the hatches after what has been an incredibly good run. But they're now being basically battered by this idea that rates are going to go higher and higher. The cost of money is going to get more and more expensive. And that completely changes their business model because the consumer as well is also under pressure. Yeah, and it also raises the point, like, are we really going to be able to see tech get a bit at all? Like, if we're going to keep rates going higher, how is growth going to stand a chance right now? And based on that, can the overall indice really then stand a chance? Absolutely. Let's talk about the central banks, though, in a little bit more detail. Yesterday it was the Fed. Today it was the Bank of England. Biggest interest rate increase in 33 years. The the bank pushing back very strongly on this idea uh, that we are going to see significantly higher rates, um, the terminal rate sort of north of 5%. uh, The governor of the Bank of England making it very clear that that is not going to be the case. Um, After the decision, after the press conference, the governor sat down as ever with Bloomberg's Francie Lacroix. Here's what he had to say. No, we don't target the, we don't target the exchange rate. We take it into account, obviously, in, in our setting of monetary policy. So it features in, in our forecast, it features in our the deliberations, but we don't target it. But is there a point where it becomes problematic? No, I, because I think the word problematic has all sorts of implications. Um, it, 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 I don't see it like that. I, I, you know, we, we look at the, the things that are causing it to move. Uh, you know, it's a whole standard way you can look at it, range of angles you can come at it from. Uh, and, and in doing so, we're seeking to understand what particularly is causing it. So, so there's nothing that would warrant an intervention? Again, because it actually hurts with your inflation problem that you're trying to target. Well, I, 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 in the precise meaning of the term intervention, I think that's a term that um, you know, we haven't used that, that, uh, that approach uh, since the early 1990s. And uh, we all know the history of that period, so it's not. 
it's not something that we discuss in terms of our toolkit. But but is, is it on top of your mind, or is it just something that's a? It's part. Of, it's part of the things that we discuss. I wouldn't uh, want to sort of give it more status than that, to be honest. Okay. Um, Governor, you say the markets aren't right to expect rates to peak at around four point seven five percent. Where will they peak? Well, we don't know. Uh, is the answer um, the point we've made today? is that we thought that uh, the market curve had really overdone it and that when we spent, and we spent a lot of hours, you know, preparing our decisions and, and, and going through as a committee, we really found it very, well, not just very hard, but not possible to really square our own reading of the economy and what was to come in the economy and the inflation outlook with the, with the pricing of uh, interest rate pricing of the markets. But so why give such a clear guidance? Who's it hurting? Is it for mortgage you know, holders? Is it for, for, for people that have houses? Well, it's certainly, of course, it's certainly for mortgage, uh, for, for mortgage holders because, of course, we, you know, the, the UK mortgage market has shifted much more to being a fixed rate market. Not, not the same sort of fixed rate structure as the US, but it's still much more of a fixed rate market now. So it's far more priced off the swap curve. Right. Um, what has happened to the rate curve over the last, you know, two months? Um, you know, I think has fed through directly into mortgage pricing. So a lower curve will pass through, and of course, all borrowers, in that sense, borrow benefit from it. Governor, do you think you'll hold back in raising rates where they need to be to take care of mortgage owners? No, I'm afraid. Our, 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 you know, our, our remit is very clear. It's it's, it's inflation. I mean, it's, it's it's price stability. It's a two percent inflation target. We won't deviate from that. But what would obviously, you know, things like the mortgage market and the housing market feature in our assessment of the economy and our decisions in reaching a conclusion on uh, how to meet the inflation target. Is 75 basis point hikes the new normal? Is it the, the new thing? I know we have a story on Bloomberg uh, saying how different you are to Jay Powell in, <laughs> in, in your view of the economy. Well, I, I think what I would say about the difference, the US and the UK are facing very different situations and very different shocks. I mean, we're facing a huge real income shock, negative real income shock in terms of energy, particularly gas, which the US isn't facing. It's got a very different inflation context in that sense. So I don't think you know, people would be surprised when they see that you know, we and the Fed are looking at things through slightly different lenses and we come to different conclusions. You know, I, I resist people saying, well, you should do the same as this other central bank. Right. But uh, do you think you'll be more aggressive in tightening? No, I, I, you really should not. The fact that we've done 75 today, nobody should read into it. That's the new norm. That's, that's not appropriate. Um, Governor, at some point, you'll you know, step away from this tightening spree. What indicators do you look at to, to see when you can cool off a bit? Well, obviously, obviously we always look at you know, what the profile of inflation is going forwards. I think then, you know, as I said earlier on today, that we, we look very carefully at the labor market because we have a very tight labor market in this country. I mean, it's interesting that you know, there's a lot of evidence that the economy is slowing. There's some evidence now that labor demand is beginning to slow, but we still have a very tight labor market. We've got a smaller labor force today than we had immediately before COVID. But are there specific surveys or indicators that carry more weight than others that you look at? No, I mean, we, 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 we've, I think we've always in the MPC rightly sort of avoided that sort of, um, that sort of debate because it, becomes, it means that individual pieces of data get... Um, Get, 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 in a sense, too much significance. And frankly, also, I would say it changes over time. I mean, the, you know, the things we look at in the economy, more particularly than others, depend upon the situation. So the labor market at the moment is, there, is, is, you know, is a very you know, close, has a very close focus because it is so tight.
The Governor of the Bank of England speaking to Francine Lacroix a little bit earlier on post the press conference. Um, Alex, this is this central bank feels like it's in a very different place to the Fed. The Fed is basically telling the market that it's got the terminal rate wrong because it's too low. The Bank of England saying it's too high. I don't think anybody really believed that we were going to 5%. But clearly they are worried about the economic trajectory that the UK is on. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. it does feel like we're sort of sift, seeing a shift to a more dovish stance. But nevertheless, they're still flagging the, the inflation risks that are out there. So the hawks, aren't, the hawks are still circling. Well, but I genuinely don't understand how you can say that market pricing is wrong if you yourself don't know what the terminal rate is. How can you say someone's wrong if you don't know how they should be right? I, I generally don't know how that works out. Um, I appreciate that he doesn't want to give a terminal rate, but how do you know, then know that the price that the market pricing is wrong? That's your thing on your email. Market is always right. Uh, it, I firmly believe that the market is always right until it's wrong. Um, and the, uh, the 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 government, I think, what they're pr- trying to do is, I think they're trying to downgrade expectations post the mini budget as well. I, I think well, they sure. are fighting a rearguard action when rates got. Rates got a little bit out of whack, I think. The economic data is also deteriorating really rapidly. And also, I think you're now going to have a fiscal tightening, which we weren't going to experience before. So I think a whole bunch of things have changed. Anyway, we'll have more analysis in a moment. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson in London, Alex Steele over in New York. So we just heard from the Governor of the Bank of England. Let's give you some analysis on what is happening. Uh, joining me here in the studio, David Goodman. Uh, joining me on the line is Bloomberg Opinions' Marcus Ashworth. Um, David, let's start with you. Um, you were down in the bowels of the Bank of England a little bit earlier on. You got a sneak preview. You were writing the stories. Give me your takeaway from what we got today and and whether or not it reflects the reality of what you think is really happening in the economy. Sure. I think the big takeaway since I opened the minutes was that line about the markets and saying pushing back against the markets. We were expecting some kind of pushback, but this was for the BOE was kind of incredibly blunt and not something we've really seen for a good few years that they're actually coming out and saying, let the markets got the peak wrong. Obviously, as Alex was saying earlier, they haven't quite told us what's right. And yep. that would probably help us as opposed to having right. to try and work out something between 3% and 5% and maybe closer to 3% and 5%. But they don't know. They don't know. But, and that's the problem. Yeah, but they could be. But then how do you say that we don't know at the same time says, but you're wrong? That doesn't. I, I don't understand. How do they know that the market is wrong if they don't know what it is themselves? I wish that they would just sort of say we don't want to. They would say something more concrete. And I wonder what the benefit was of them doing that right now, doing it today in this meeting. Marcus, what do you think? Well, I mean, surely you've had to tell your children, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, this is what I think the Bank of England is trying to get here. Is that um, as Ben Broadbent had told us on the twentieth. There is something fundamentally wrong with the UK market at the moment. And I'm going to blame it on scrapping LIBOR. Because ever since they scrapped LIBOR, <laughs> the money, stunning money markets have been dysfunctional. They're illiquid and they are out of whack. And I think what we're getting is this mixed signal um, because people all of a sudden need to buy an awful lot of terrorist protection, uh, which has never sort of seen it sort itself out. And that's what I think the Bank of England is trying to uh, rail against because they they bunch a bunch of their forecasts off what the market rates are predicting. As we found out, Lindex Link Bonds, another one of my pet peeves, they don't tell us anything. And I don't think standing money market rates are telling us much either. Nonetheless, the Bank of England won't tell us what it means, but I think the general number for my money is around four, and that's what they're trying to say, not five. David, the other thing that's happened today 
is that, and I just look at the general media, there is this perception that the Bank of England has also told us that we're heading for this epic recession. Um, and that's not what they're saying. No, not at all. And I'll wait for Marcus to jump in about BOE forecasts. I know how much he loves them. <laughs> yep. um, Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, obviously, this world that the bank said we're going to have an eight quarter recession, that only exists in the same world where the bank height rates to 5%, yeah. 5.25%, where they've said they're not going to do. So it's a really unhelpful thing to, to get out there to the public because you're right, every single outlet out there is saying bank, bank forecasts this recession. I suppose that the flip side is their constant rate forecasts. And obviously, this is a a kind of distinction that often gets lost. But the constant rate forecast is also for a really nasty recession. So there is a nasty recession coming. It just seems silly to have a system of forecasting that overstates that and makes people wor- worry more. And then you get this kind of feedback loop into consumer sentiment and everything like that. Exactly. So, yeah, I think. But maybe they want that because then that'll tampen down demand. Which I just, will help I just think they're not very good at communication. Yeah. Well, I, well, and I feel like that this is where it also relates to the Fed, too, because Jay Powell was a master yesterday. Like, all the analyst notes and all the stuff that you read, you can tell that he, he, he thread that line very neatly, where you're going to see a downshift in hikes, but a higher terminal rate, and did it really well. And it just made Bailey look even worse today. Marcus? I'm sure you have. I'm just going to come in. I'm just going to come in defend the Bank of England. What? No, nah, no, I'm not. No, of course I'm not. <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> I do actually feel. I feel a little bit sorry for them. It's, they're not sorry for them. I think they're doing a better job of explaining it this time around than they have in the past. And um, I think David explained it. I wish they could explain it how David has just explained it and say that this is just based on a bunch of forecasts which you were telling me you don't agree with market pricing wise, but. Um, you know, the overall message is is that they're not basically almost forecasting deflation and in their inflation outlook as well, which is even weirder than perhaps in the growth outlook, uh, because we can quite have easily see over the course of the next year, we bumble in and out of recession, i.e. we're not going to get much growth. Um, I don't think it will be eight long quarters of, of nothing but, but negative growth, but I do think there will be, you know, not much growth around at all. At the same time, inflation, though, their forecasting will be at 1.4 in two years time. And basically zero in three years, which to my mind would make them, you know, mad to be hiking interest rates here. But clearly they've got a short term problem, which is about to come a longer term growth problem at some time in the next quarter or two. And I think that they're doing is what they think the best is, which is, yes, we will continue to hike rates for a little bit more, yeah. but don't build in too many great hopes. There clearly was divergence on the MPC, David. Do you think that that they went with 75 today? because they're still in damage control from the mini-budget? I think they went with 75 because they felt like they had to make a statement. This is a good time to do it. It was about the last time they probably can do it with the autumn statement coming up, yep. and that would have a big... Once you factor in the fiscal consolidation there, then that has a big change, and that probably brings down inflation forecasts more and growth forecasts. So this is probably their last chance to do it. And you saw that line in the minutes, which was quite telling. Um, for a long time, the Hawks have been saying, if we do more now, we'll have to do less later. Yeah that was what they all said this time mm-hmm. so whereas obviously Powell was saying smaller hikes but we'll get there we'll get to a higher point it feels like they were saying we're going to do one big hike but we'll get to our destination quicker but that destination is lower so it's hard to call it front loading when you're what a year into the hiking cycle yeah. and maybe they should have done this earlier but it does feel like they're this is their chance to do that big aggressive step that people have been calling for for ages. Because 75 feels quite reasonable compared with the 200 we've had priced in about a week ago, 10 days ago. Yeah, obviously that was 
Extreme. implying a emergency hike as well yeah. so that would have been like back yeah we're, we're a long way away from that world and if that had happened i don't know what the uh what the forecast would look like there, well, but did, it'd be pretty yeah, messy marcus go I, so I never got why the market was pricing into why would they price a, a hike of 200 basis points when the the economy was and country was going into a crisis i mean it made literally no sense to me you know they, they made it very clear that they they were never going to you know care about where the currency particularly is and we can clearly see where what sterling's done off the back of, of what's happened where you've got a 75 basis point hike from the fed and we're going to do more and it's you know it might be slower but it's basically it's longer and higher they're the three words that you got the fed mantra whereas mm -hmm. what's the uk now it's definitely slower probably lower and certainly shorter well, so i i was gonna say that this brings in my next question which was like is the government helping or hurting the boe because they had we, we had to price in the 200 basis points because of the disaster that was the fiscal uh mini budget or whatever um from quasi quartang i mean that's why so is the government now mm. helping the boe david what do yeah, you what well, is that, it? oh marcus go ahead well, no, i just i'm let david go take this one but just briefly think i think they are they are learning to to not get in each other's way quite so much so i mean helping is probably a strong word but they're certainly not actively hindering <laughs> okay well philip, philip asked this question philip aldrich asked this question I, I and the governor obviously was never going to answer it but he basically asked the question what would you like to see in the fiscal package that would help you and the governor clearly wouldn't answer that question but david what what would be useful at this point and what would not be useful in terms of that fiscal consolidation i think the first thing which we are probably likely to see is just that kind of respective institutions being back also this idea that the boe in the Treasury are now actually pushing in the same direction. I think the IMF said it was like having one foot on the accelerator, mm. one foot on the brake. I don't know whether they're both on the brake now. We can argue about that, but at least they're in working in a similar thing. I think one question that we we were hoping to to get to Bailey, and it never he never really answered either, was obviously the the big problem with inflation domestically is the labour market. Yep. That's what's driving domestic general inflation, tight labour market. How will hiking rates to this extent really help that? Obviously, and the big problem is shortages. So what is this going to do about shortages? So obviously, the one thing the government could do is try and sell something about shortages. But have we seen like immigration isn't going to be that option because of no. all, all the other and problems? All, all the over 50s that have all retired. How can you get them back? Exactly. So these things aren't things that monetary policy can solve. No. That that does feel like a kind of cop out for the BOE saying monetary policy can't solve this because they've said that about quite a few things over the last few years, obviously. Um, but I feel like what the government what the government do the autumn statement may ultimately mean that the BOE can have a lower peak because if they do do some fiscal stuff that there needs to be some more pain for the economy somewhere. Yep. In, where do you take it? Where do you take it? And if it doesn't, yep. if it comes more through the fiscal side, then maybe the rates can peak at a lower level. Yep. So here in the US. It's very clear what we're watching, right? We're watching jobs, we're watching inflation. We get two more of each uh, before the next Fed meeting. I'm not 100% clear what I'm watching in the UK with all the trillions of moving parts that are happening, David. Like, what is the data point I'm watching right now? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because obviously, when infl inflation was on the way up, that was something we were looking at quite a lot. And it's such a messy picture now with what's going on with the energy support package that finishes in April. What will happen to that? It feels like the fiscal side of is has become more important than the data side. And I think right. in the BOE's forecast today, they kind of assumed that we'd get this fiscal, we'd get this energy package that was midway between where we are now in terms of universal aid and nothing. And that's a big assumption, especially given how tight money is with the government. So again, it's yet another input into their forecast that in a few months time might look a bit silly. 
Marcus, big picture for the consumer. What is the takeaway from this? Because I think about rising rates and I think my mortgage is going to go up. And I guess if you're on a variable, that is the case. But mortgage rates have already gone up so much that I almost feel that that we're now in a position where today's hike, future hikes are largely priced in. So in terms of the impact on the real economy, what effect does today actually have? No, I think you're probably right to put that out. I think probably it's almost uh, n- nothing negligible because, I mean, you know, the, the pricing and everyone was, was screaming and shouting about uh, mortgage rates going over 6%. They simply weren't. No one was fixing a mortgage at over 6%. It's just banks avoiding doing business. And you could actively get five-year fixes in the low fives. And, of course, you could get variable rates, um, tracker rates at, at three, which had just gone obviously gone up to about three and three quarters. But the point is you can get mortgages um you know substantially lower than, than some of the headline rates were kicking around because that premium to call it the trust premium whatever you want to call it has evaporated because it's the credit spread um which yep. is evaporated then i think you'll find that, that mortgage rates of anything will come down after today uh, and that so in some still, ways, so in some ways so in some ways what we're seeing at the moment is a rate cut not a rate hike oh, God, I, don't confuse it no i just think it's credit spread out I think it's just bizarre that that's the kind of environment we're in. I, it, it, the governor even talked about it today. He said, I expect mortgage rates to fall. But if, if, if mortgages are one of the primary transmission mechanisms from here, that strikes me, David, as being really odd. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about the mortgage market and the transmission there and that, like, Mark has talked about variable rates. 20, 20% of households are on that who have yeah. mortgages. Everything else is fixed. Every, everything else is fixed or you don't have a mortgage. So the impact you have directly is quite small. Like, and obviously what happened with, the, with the, the fiscal statement was that it heaped all this pain on people straight away and it caused people to change their mind about making decisions, as, as Marcus was talking about as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think the mortgage market just became completely unlinked from what the BOE was doing. So, is, is money getting more expensive in the UK or is it getting cheaper after today? One thing that the BOE did say today, which is quite interesting, was that in August the recession they were looking at was an energy recession. It was caused by higher yeah. energy bills. Now it's half energy and half tighter financial conditions, mortgages, credit, credit availability of credit, yeah. that kind of thing. So obviously there has been a change and that has come about because of the, the, the mini budget and, and, and what trust does. So if you follow that logic, then money is getting more expensive, I, I suppose, despite what Bailey was saying about yeah. at the well, margin, rates down. are coming down, which is obviously a very confusing message when you've just delivered your biggest hike since uh, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. again it's just the communication it just strikes me as being off it is very confusing enough. it actually literally hurts my head to, to hear you guys keep talking about it um, <laughs> let's do a little bit we're, we're going to talk more about the Fed in a second specifically but I just want to do a little compare and contrast situation so our question of the day on television was our central bank your problem um, referring to the Fed and I'm just wondering at what you know Andrew Bailey was really like we don't look at exchange rates sure we may look at it, but we don't really care about it we're not he really brushed off Francine's admirable attempts to try and get him to talk about the exchange rate but Marcus if we get near parity again in a more sustainable way what is the BOE going to do about that well yeah I think you mean in a less sustainable way I know exactly what you mean that yeah I mean I think of course and that's the difference you see it's exactly with the ECB as well you know, they say they don't look at interest rate uh, currencies, pardon me, but of course they do. Uh, and I think, you know, certainly um, if uh, sterling were to get down towards parity of the dollar again, I think it would be uh, a, a concern for um, the Bank of England actively uh, and they would might have to do something about it. Uh, but 
it depends again, like all the reasons why. If, it, if it's all coming down because of lack of growth or, or, or prices for oil, and there's not very little they can do about it, you know, they're, they're in a very cleft stick. So that's why they try and avoid talking about it. Yeah, I just say also like one thing to bear in mind with all this is that yes, where cable is really matters for the bank, but where pound euro is matters yeah. quite a lot more. So if you look, say that the pound went down quite a lot against the euro. Yeah, yeah the euro it did was, say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you look at their effective exchange rate, it's far more linked to the pound euro than the pound dollar. So we get very excited about pound approaching parity and everything like that. Yeah. But if we see a sustained drop in the euro, that's mm -hmm. in the pound against the euro, I think that's when they'll start getting a bit more worried. Which doesn't feel crazy either um no. at the end of the day uh okay well that was a really good conversation that was quite a do big you feel, day do you feel a lot more cheerful now about the uk economy at the end of all of this no i really I, don't i don't <laughs> I, I mean at least here i can make heads and tails of things I, it, it may still be difficult or murky but i can still understand what's up and what's down when i talk about the uk economy with you guys i, I don't know which way is right and which is left like it's just it gets very confusing very very quickly now i say this but after the midterms it could be just as confusing here in the u.s so I'll give you guys that. Um, thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, David Goodman, Bloomberg UK economy reporter, Marcus Ashworth of Bloomberg Opinion. We thank you very much as well. Um, coming up, we're going to turn to the corporate world for uh, a second. Vestas uh, makes wind turbines. Now, in theory, they should be crushing it right now. There should be a lot of demand for this kind of alternative energy from its customers and a lot of demand over the end user. Yet its quarter was a little bit choppy. So we're going to talk about the risks, whether it's input cost or more importantly, policy actually in Europe, which is very confusing for Vestas. We'll break that down after the break. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in the UK. It's just past 5.30 in London. It's 2.30 here. Uh, nope, 1.30. I can do math. Uh, here in the US. Let's take a look at US markets here. Stocks falling, although well off the lows of the session. This is ahead of Friday's jobs report. Um, the idea that we're going to have a Fed that's going to hike a little less but hike to a farther rate is still trickling through the market here. Um, we talked about it earlier. The pound sinking as the BOE basically called for peak rates. Uh, the dollar really around the highs of the session as well. Treasury yields up. It was worse. We were looking at 10 basis points earlier, earlier in the day. Um, so there's definitely a moderation of the movement. Uh, the services ISM data coming in okay. I mean, there was some good, there was some bad, so it was relatively okay, if you put it that way. Um, Let's get to earnings, because here in the U.S., we continue to get earnings coming out. Qualcomm really disappointing um, after the bell yesterday. Roku uh, really tanking as well. The ad market not holding up. In terms of the industrial sector, though, there are some areas that should be doing really well. And one of those areas should be wind and solar. It is the thing that every country needs right now, particularly if you're a wind or solar manufacturer in Europe. Vestas, though, uh, the Danish wind turbine manufacturer, had a little bit of a different story. So in terms of their earnings, their sales were about 10% below uh, what was expected. Um, they had disappointing equipment sales in Europe and North America, something you would not have expected right now in this energy crisis that's unfolding within Europe. They do see a significant rebound, though, for 2023. Well, we caught up with the CEO, Henrik Andersen, and asked him, what was happening? Why it was so hard to do well in this environment? 
I think we got a mix of, uh, of many factors. And, and as what you have seen is over the last, predominantly since COVID broke out in second quarter of 20, you have had a literally a transport logistic uh, yep. big, big challenge, uh, not only a challenge, but probably beyond challenge. You have seen also commodity pricing. Us as consumers going back home suddenly meant that we did consume things that created a backlog issue in, in a lot of the both raw materials and others. So I think it's fair saying that led to uh, cost increases. It led to shortages of critical components uh, that were used both for consumers and also for wind turbines. Um, so that whole price pressure. Uh, we are now on the eighth quarter in an upward trend on pricing. Yep. Um, we follow our costing, uh, but if I knew what I know today, uh, eight quarters ago, yeah. pricing would have looked different eight quarters ago. And that, of course, is part of, main part of the reason. Things work at Vestas. The things that we are absolutely adamant we have to solve is the negative profitability of a wind turbine. And coming back to your point, Guy, it is hurtful. It's a dilemma, frustration that we lose in Q3 approximately 8% in EBIT on the weighted onshore turbine business when it should actually, and the turbine itself, the solution itself we commissioned in third quarter is the most valuable it has ever been. Absolutely, and it's a product that we all so desperately need. Yes. Are the supply bottlenecks easing? Are you starting to see that side of things starting to, to let up a little bit? A bit more confident uh, that probably we are the company uh, that is used now uh, throughout those uh, many quarters to go to mitigate. Uh, we find ways, we work with some of the best companies in transport and logistic, Maersk and DSV in the world. Um, so the mitigation right here from making it still come through in your meter on the severe difficult conditions, we managed to do. So actually, mm -hmm. we, are, we start seeing that some of those uh, uh, bottlenecks and, and some of those uh, can ease when we get into 23. Mm -hmm. um, but so far in 22, we haven't seen any easing, unfortunately. Henrik, hi, it's Alex uh, in New York. I wanted to get a take on your comfort level with your demand outlook. I feel like your customers are in a really bad spot. There's a ton of demand for what they're gonna deliver, but not a lot of certainty as to how they're gonna be taxed, what the price is that they're gonna be able to get wind power for, if there's gonna be a gas price tax. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty for your customers. What are you hearing from them in terms of their vis visibility on demand? No, I think uh, visibility is, of course, clearing. Uh, I think the biggest bottleneck in uh, most part of Europe, uh, when we look at uh, renewable energy and speeding and accelerating that uh, energy transition, is permitting. And permitting is not uh, sitting at a, at a customer to decide. That's sitting at the other part of the triangle, which are the governmental and the public uh, authorities. So that we are encouraging people uh, to do as well. I generally believe if we look at customers, uh, last quarter has been probably a bit challenging because you start having governments start uh, 
making what I call windfall taxation, which <laughs> unfortunately becomes a little stochastically if you are a company taking out for that. Um, but even worse, when you start influencing either the market price on energy, trying to cap it, or you even, in some instances, have also discussed uh, taxation on individual wind assets or wind parks. That, I think, could be, uh, could be uh, really challenging or toxic uh, for the build-out, because that means the financing, the investors in it, will start saying, hang on, if we don't know the macroeconomic environment where we are putting 30 years energy assets on, that's a problem. Then, then I'm, then, then I'm stealing of, of the two worst. I will still prefer to have a windfall on, on a company level because at least that we can, we can then come back and argue when maybe the profits are not no longer there. Okay, so a, a windfall story, a windfall tax means something maybe different to you guys. Um, let's talk a little bit about where orders are right now. Orders have come down. Why are we in a world <laughs> where we need energy? Our orders coming down. Oh, and what does government need to do about this? You talked about permitting, but talk to me about what needs to happen for orders to go back up again. Anytime, everywhere in the world, I have a project, uh, which means a project that can be uh, sold to you with a Vestas turbine and a service solution on. Uh, I have multiple 20, 30 bidders for that project. So the capital for renewable solutions are in excess. So what I'm just trying to hint here, if we had more permitting done, yep. we could do a lot more scaling on the renewable side. So it's the permitting, mm -hmm. and unfortunately also it's the time and speed of permitting. I'm, I'm a bit after here. Yeah. Uh, the energy crisis in Europe needs on a weekly, monthly basis addressing supply of more energy. Otherwise, we won't win that energy crisis over and in our control. And there, that doesn't solve itself yeah. if we are talking about a permitting process that takes five or seven years. Henrik? That, 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 Henrik, yes. um, Sorry, we don't Alex. have a ton of time, so maybe just in 45 seconds. Has the energy crisis and war in Ukraine made this situation you just laid out easier or harder? Yeah, I thought initially it would be easier because the argument will be easier to understand. I think actually right now with all the variables and the energy crisis, we have had to see governments taking dramatic measures and spend all their time in that. So my encouragement and, and my little plea here to government is now address and spend the time maybe equally about addressing the energy crisis by also adding supply of new uh, sources in the energy supply. That is very important. Uh, that was the CEO of Vestas talking to Alex and I a little bit earlier on. Alex, he invited both of us to the top of one of his turbines. Apparently, if the wind starts to blow, they start to move. He says it's, uh, it says it's quite entertaining. He said it was kind of like sailing, which I feel like then you should be at the top and I'll be like, hey, down at I the think bottom. I, I wouldn't do it without you. Uh, yes, you would. Are you kidding You'd say you wouldn't, but you totally would. It could be a really good social moment for us, though, Guy. We could be there together. We could do a little TikTok video. Oh, yeah. As long as I don't have to dance, I think that probably is the, uh, the only prerequisite for that. But, but yeah, I'm, not do, I'm not doing it. I'm not dancing. Are you kidding? We could do a little interview right up there at the top of one of those massive wind turbines. I think that would be, a, that, as you say, would be a fun moment. Uh, talking of which way the wind is blowing, we're going to talk about equities next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. Uh, I'm Guy Johnson in London. Alex Steele is over in New York. Here in London today, we have Gina Martin-Adams. Now, if you want to talk 
to somebody from Bloomberg Intelligence about what's happening in the equity world, the person you want to talk to is Gina Martin-Adams. Um, so I think the timing is fairly good to invite her into the studio. Gina, I want to talk about central banks and I want to talk about equities. How much does Jay Powell hate equities? Must we? Must we talk about <laughs> Jay Powell? Um, you know, I think that the Fed has very clearly recognized that inflation is far too fast for their like their liking, and they're prioritizing the inflation mandate over the growth mandate, especially because we haven't seen any real weaknesses emerge in the employment markets. They can do so, and they're going to continue to do so until they start to see those weaknesses emerge. And they made that very clear yesterday. I think when you really look at the grand scheme of things, Stocks bounce over the final two weeks of October was entirely about valuation expansion. So it was entirely about some anticipation that we were going to get an easier policy landscape emerging into 2023. And we, so what Powell did yesterday really <laughs> mm-hmm. called that into question. So, so in, in that environment, Gina, can you own big tech? You know, you can own tech. Well, my issue is you can't own the mega cap stocks. Right. So I think that we want to clarify really carefully what we mean by tech. The most overvalued stocks in the S&P 500 are their biggest stocks. Two of those stocks are Tesla and Amazon, who are actually trading at 40 40 times forward earnings or so each. Those stocks are actually technically not tech companies. They're consumer discretionary companies. We all think of them as tech, right? Within the tech sector, you've got Apple and Microsoft, two of those other components of the mega cap securities, trading at 22, 23 times forward earnings. Still a premium to the rest of the S&P 500, which is now trading around 17, and on equal weighted basis, it's trading below 15 times. But that premium's not nearly as large. And then you've got Google, or otherwise known as Alphabet, uh, trading at 15 times forward earnings. So it actually is fairly valued relative to the market. I think when you look at the grand scheme of things, paying a 50% premium to the market, a greater than 50% premium to the market for some of those components of the big mega cap stocks is probably a mispricing that needs to continue to close given rising interest rates. But for the rest of tech, you've got some pretty deep value that's emerged over the course of this year. Um, it's just not in the mega cap securities that everybody loves yeah, and is concentrated loved. in. Loved, probably, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll see. How much does the index change? How much does the landscape change Yeah. As, as big tech comes down? Yeah. So this is something really interesting, something we started writing about this week. October was extremely unique because it was the first month that we've seen the equal weighted index outperform the rest of the market by yep. a wide margin and the mega cap stocks for the five mega cap stocks fell in the month of October. So for the market to work and work well, what you need to see is the rest of the market work very, very well while these stocks trade off. And you can have positive returns in that environment. October was the first time we've seen that. Mm-hmm. It's only Oil's the second well, month of this well. year. Like, yeah. Other sectors are, are filling the gap. So yeah. you have to have, though, investors gather some confidence in the outlook for the rest of the index. And this is something that's really been missing for most of the last several years is there's this concentration of uh, investor focus on these biggest of the big stocks, thinking that they're high quality, they've got long-term growth that surpasses the rest of the index, 
And we're starting to really question some of those theories. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, we're starting to see some really great value emerge in the rest of the index. And that started to show up in October. Uh, Quickly, we don't have a ton of time, maybe 30 seconds. Um, Is tech selling off the same degree to which rates rise? Is that correlation one for one still? Uh, It depends on, again, how you define tech. So what we've actually seen in the index is, yes, the highest duration stocks in the index are absolutely underperforming, but the low duration stocks are not performing particularly well. So it's maybe not as clean as we would like to see it. GMA, Gina Modern Adams, thank you very much indeed. Fantastic as ever. Up next, we're going to focus on what happens tomorrow. We're not done with this week just yet. Payrolls Friday, Hove's interview. That's next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. We still have some ways to go. And incoming data since our last meeting suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates will be higher than previously expected. We have some ground left to cover here and, uh, and, and cover it we will. That was Fed Chair Jay Powell, and a little bit of me in the beginning, because I turned on my microphone. Um, good evening. You're listening to The Cable. I'm Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. So that was the setup uh, for Jay Powell yesterday uh, after during the press conference. And then tomorrow is that first key data point uh, that we're looking at, and that is jobs. Let's take a look here at some expectations. We're looking at change in non-farm payrolls up 195,000 for October. Um, you're looking at an unemployment rate to sit about 3.6%. You're looking at average hourly earnings on a month-on-month basis up three-tenths of one percent on a year-on-year basis, up 4.7 percent, which would be a sequential decline uh, all in all, and a labor force participation rate at 62.3 percent. That's what we're looking for. What are we really going to get? Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics and Policy Correspondent, uh, joins us now. Hey, Mike, what's the whisper number right now? Well, it's interesting. It seems to have gone down a little bit because we were all three of us together on um, your show this morning when the ISM Services Index came out, and it showed a contraction in service industry jobs. That's been the big area of employment. And we've gone down now from an estimate consensus of 200,000 to 195. So I think the whisper number is going to come out a little bit lower than that, which would mean it it, uh, it raises the potential, I suppose, for a market surprise tomorrow if we get a fairly strong number. Um, What would Jay Powell like this number to be? Oh, 195 would suit him fine. Uh, economists generally think you need about 100,000 jobs uh, a month to be created to absorb new entrants into the labor force. Might be a little smaller than that. Uh, so we're well ahead of what we would need just to stay in place. So for the Fed, um, the sequential declines that Alex is talking about and uh, the idea that uh, we're getting closer to sort of a neutral rate of hiring would be good news for uh, for the Fed. Am I going to use the word Goldilocks tomorrow? And if so, what is the context? Ooh. Um, I don't know, guy. <laughs> Only you, you, you can Goldilocks? decide that. Oh, I don't know. Well, meaning that, like, when everyone's talking about it, I'm going to use it. I'm going to maybe use it begrudgingly and with an eye roll, but I'm going to use it. And so I'm trying to get to, like, what does that look like tomorrow? Well, that would be somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, the consensus for job creation, maybe a little above 200,000, but not much. And uh, if we saw the consensus for wages on a year-over-year basis drop a little bit as, um, as, as now forecast, and if unemployment ticked up by a, a tenth or two, 
then you would probably call that Goldilocks because it wouldn't be a, a really painful change for the economy. And uh, it would, at the same time, not be feeding the inflation narrative. Why is the U.S. labor market still so strong? Nobody really knows. Uh, the best answer is probably that, A, there's still a lot of demand in the economy because of the fiscal stimulus that was provided and the fact that because fiscal stimulus was provided, a lot of businesses did not shut down. But a lot of people left the labor force, and it's been hard to get people back to work. And you look at the jolts numbers, the jobs, job openings numbers, and it just suggests that <laughs> – there are a lot more jobs than there are people looking for them. And so that keeps the labor market very strong at this point. And the interesting question is going to be, does that change? Is yeah. this a standard recession where the Fed raises rates and unemployment rises and demand falls? Or is this going to be a situation where companies who struggled to find workers don't want to let them go? Right. In, in, in which case... What does that do to productivity? Because I've been reading a lot about that, that you're just going to keep them and not fire them even if it hurts your margins. So what does that do for productivity? Well, it's not good for productivity, and we've had a problem with that. Uh, Productivity rose only a tiny little bit in the uh, third quarter, and on a year-over-year basis, it's down by 1.4%. It's been falling for the last couple of years. And that just means that, uh, as you say, margins are not as good, and companies are basically paying more to get less. And that's yeah. not a way to grow the economy. Let's just get, just focus a little bit on, on that sort of productivity question uh, and the issue of labor scarcity right now. The, the Fed can't fix labor scarcity. The only way it can do it is by reducing demand. The government might be able to put some policies in place that would encourage people back into the, in, into the workforce because we are missing lots of people. Is this a government problem or a Fed problem? This is more of a government problem, Uh, and it is in a couple of ways. Now, uh, the good part of it is that uh, the Biden administration got the CHIPS Act passed and got the Infrastructure Act passed, and a lot of productivity-enhancing businesses are going to be subsidized now by those, and that should help over the longer term raise productivity. Uh, In sending people back to work, uh, the government's tried that. It doesn't it doesn't do a great job uh, about it. We had the Jobs Act coming out of the 2008 yeah. Great Financial Crisis. Not a lot of jobs created because of it. But uh, if if the government can boost productivity and, and boost investment in research and development, then that does uh, get companies to increase hiring. So it's just going to take some time. Um. Mike, I keep hearing, seeing headline after headline, particularly in the tech industry, of layoffs and like pretty decent sized layoffs. When are we going to see that really reflected in the jobs data? That's hard to say. I mean, tech obviously has been hurt by the fact that people have deserted tech in the stock market, and so company valuations are going down, um, and they're worried about uh, their future business. But for the rest of the economy, again, it's that question of do we let people go? There is going to be a slowing of the economy. So on the margin, there's certainly going to be some restaurants that don't make it, some retail stores that don't make it. But uh, larger companies who can afford to have compressed margins for a quarter or two, do they let people go as they might ordinarily? That, that's going to be the real question, uh, and we haven't seen it yet. Yep. 
they're talking about it over here. They're talking about the, the fact that there's lots of zombie companies as well out there that will be supported by low rates that may not be around for that much longer. And yeah. maybe you see that labor being released back into the, into the, uh, into the pool because the pool desperately needs it. Uh, Mike, thank you very much indeed. Look forward to the coverage uh, coming up tomorrow. Payrolls, some great coverage coming up right here on Bloomberg. That does it for us, Alex. We're, we're done. Friday tomorrow. I can't believe it, really. This feels like the longest week ever. Anyway, we'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> this is Bloomberg.